Amen. Praise God. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. <coughs> well, if you have your Bibles with you at home <coughs> and here, turn to, to um, Genesis chapter 28, but also flip over to, if you can, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Today's scripture is about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but it's a story out of Genesis 28. Um, 13 through, uh, actually 10 through 22, but I'm only going to read 13 through 15. It's a great story. Let's listen to this word together. It's, um, you know, when Jacob is having his dream of the ladder, okay, coming from heaven. Yahweh was standing there beside him saying, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring offspring the land that you are now sleeping on your offspring offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out towards the west the east the north and the south all the people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring look i am with you and i will watch over you wherever you go and i will bring you back to this land For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Praise God. This is the word of God for all people today. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is uh, the first verse I ever memorized as a Christian. and, And it goes something like this. For those who believe in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Simple verse, isn't it? For those who trust in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. This is a great story about a a beginning for um, uh, Jacob. We listen to this story and and here Jacob is running from his brother Esau. Now why is Jacob running from his brother Esau? Anybody know? Because he tricked him for the second time. He tricked him out of his birthright. Now he tricks him out of his blessing. And, and him and his mother do it in a terrible way. They dress him up with, with um, I suppose, the llama furs or something. Um, but he's all furry, and when, I, when uh, uh, Isaac, who can't see, touches him, he, he thinks it's his son, who's the hairy, hairy one. <laughs> and, and Esau finds out that he's lost not only his birthright, but now his blessing. He's, if you have, you have to look in chapter 27, he's ticked off. And he says, I'm going to kill him. So Jacob is running, going back to his father's homeland. And he gets into this little place near Beersheba. And he stops along the trail and lays his head down on a rock and takes a nap for the night sleeping in the, in the evening. I don't know how you can sleep with a rock as a pillow, but, but he did. And in that night, he had this dream. He had this dream of... Heaven opening up and these angels are walking down and uh, Jacob's ladder, we know the song, and God is standing there at the top in heaven. It's a great time that um, um, Jacob becomes somebody that he hasn't been. I don't know if, if you read into, read God's word to where you delve into it, you find out that Jacob was not a good guy. Or his mom. Well, his name meant deceiver. 
And he was living up to it. I don't think at this time that uh, Jacob had any, any concept of who God was in his life or what God could do because him and his mom basically did everything that they wanted to do. He was running, running for his life, trying to get away from everything that he had, ac- had accomplished to this point. And God intervenes in this place. And um, he wakes up the next day and has this conversation continued with God where he says, okay, God, I'm going to do what you said. And I'm thankful for that. Now, the reason I said this is the beginning of the new beginning for Jacob, if you listen to the story, Abraham was told, look up at all the stars in the sky. Look up. That's the amount of your descendants. Here's the new beginning. Here's the new beginning. If you look at this scripture really close, God says, oh, Jacob, you see all this sand that's around you? Now, there's a little bit more sand than there are stars, I think. I'm not real sure because I haven't seen all the stars. But the sand around you, every, every little piece of sand is your people. Can you imagine? Here's a, not only the stars, but now the sand of the world is yours. And your, your people are going to be like this sand. And I'm thinking, holy cannoli. That is unbelievable. And it's a new beginning in the sense that, that it's not a new covenant. God is making the same covenant, but it's new to him. And it's new to all of the Israelite people that have, don't even understand it yet. And it's there in, these, in this time that I think Jacob's life changes. And I want to give you some ways that I think that happens this morning, and if you want to write these down. I think there are things that, that happens to Jacob that happens to you and I. Knowing God, knowing God becomes a personal matter. Did you, did you hear that? I, I, I really, truly, I, I tried to find it, tried to digest it, um, but I'm sure, I'm sure Jacob, I'm sure Jacob grew up knowing about Abraham and his God. Because how could you be in a family like that who did nothing but speak orally? They didn't write notes to each other. They spoke orally to each other. I'm sure he knew about um, Abraham, and I'm sure he understood about Isaac's God, because um, I think the process of how they got the, the birthright and the blessing explains that, you know, yeah, I know about that God. I'm even sure he knew about Noah's God. I'm not real sure, but I think he did. He knew people um, um, in the surrounding areas didn't have a God near as strong as his grandpa's God and his father's God. I think he knew about that. Um, up to that point, he, Jacob, is like many of us. We know about God. Amen? Do you know what I'm saying? We, uh, we know about God. Did, did you know that, uh, that um, um, we are a Christian nation because we know about God? The Haitians are a Christian nation, 100% Christian nation, because they know about God. But if you ask any of them, 90, 96% of them are dead out Santanese. Voodoo God they, they worship and 
and get to the, as I told you before, the Christian part of it is only as a last resort. Because we know, see, knowing about God is not knowing God. You all get that? You know the sign. It's better to know God than to know God. It's better not to know God. It's better to know God. You see that sign on on churches. It's better to move from your head to your heart is what happened here. What, What I'm saying to you is Jacob knew nothing Nothing about the emotional part, about the, the closeness, about the um, reality of God being with you. He got up and he said, oh my goodness, I'm going to anoint this oil rock with oil because this is where God is. My goodness. And it became a holy place. Listen to it. He says, it's in verse 15. Uh, verse 15, he says, the Lord says to him, I will be with you and watch over you wherever you go. Jacob didn't know that before this time. Jacob did not understand that, that, that uh, there was a God that loved him that much and cared for him, that he would be with him. And I think at that moment, at that moment in Jacob's life, when he, when he heard God say that to him, it was that aha moment. That aha, oh my goodness. And I think he took Christ and God and the Holy Spirit into his life personally. And it became a personal thing. I think it happens in our lives too much that we know about God, but it's not personal. We, we, we need to move, my friends, from the general to the specific. Amen? We need, to, we need to move from the theoretical to the practical. Um, when I was in seminary, we had this great professor who was um, filled up with nothing but the knowledge of worship. And, and all he wanted to do was give us theoretical thoughts on it. And there was nine of us in the class, and one day I popped up and I said, listen, I'm tired of all this theoretical stuff. And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, I want to know some practical stuff. I said, can you tell us about communion? And he looked at us and started going into the theoretical part of it, and I said, stop! <laughs> he, he was a friend of mine, I could do that. I played racquetball with him. I said, stop. And he said, what do you want? I said, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear the practical aspects of communion. And so in my hymn book that I have back then, I have the practical steps that happen in communion. Someday I'll I'll bring it to you and show it to you. You can look at it and see what happens. It's dynamic. The practical, the theoretical is good. It's great. It's fantastic. We all know that Christ, you know, died for us and and had this little thing before about the Holy Communion where he changed Passover. But what does that really mean? And that's what I think happened to Jacob this day. He knew about this God, but he became practical in his lives. And I think especially we, we know the historical Christ. There's so many books on that, that statement right there, the historical Christ. We, can, we know about that, but it, it makes a difference when we move from the historical to the personal. We need to have that personal, that aha moment, that experience. That experience. Somebody asked me the other day, they asked me the other day, they said, uh, um, what church did you grow up in? And I said, heathen? I didn't grow up in a church, you know? We didn't even, uh, I, I think we watched um, the guy from Akron on TV once in a while. 
Uh, you know who I mean? Who? Yes, thank you. Rex Humbard. We would watch him once in a while, you know. That's about it. That's all I can ever remember as a kid. And it wasn't until Phyllis Ann that heathen brought me into this stuff. Oh, she's not a heathen. I was a heathen. Never mind. Yeah, I got that all messed up, didn't I? Oh. Yeah, she brought me into all this stuff, you know, all everything that happened and started training me and loving me and caring for me and, and helped me make it personal in my life. Because I got to tell you, I knew about Jesus. I knew him as a swear word. I knew him as people went over and did things in this, these buildings. I knew all that stuff. But it wasn't until it became personal and things changed in your lives, you know, and, and, and um, 2 Corinthians chapter five seventeen comes alive. That old person is gone and the new person comes, you know. New person comes. And I've learned that as God made Abraham promises, God said, I won't leave you. I'll be with you. I'll get you back here one day. And of course he does. I know that he does the same for us today. He promises that he will, he will be with us and we'll never be alone. He promises that he'll give us strength, strength to face anything that's going on. He promises that he'll give us that peace and joy that we're looking for in our lives. He promises that he'll give us a life that has a meaning. Amen? I'm telling you, my life had nothing until it became personal. He tells us in Romans 8, 28, I'll work everything out to good, no matter what goes on in your life. He says, I'll hear your prayers and I'll answer them. He promises that he will forgive us for our sins and, and give us that, that past that is free. We don't have to worry about those things anymore. I could go on and on of everything that he promises, but I think you're getting to the point that... Um, that um, we really can't grab a hold of those promises until we make it personal. We can know about them and, um, and talk about them and everything that God says, but it won't mean a thing until we say, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Yes, Lord, I surrender myself. Um, that beginning of new beginnings that I'm talking about means whenever you let God become personal in your life. It's not because you've heard about it from somebody else, but you, you personally know him as your Savior and Lord. Amen? Now, I could spend a little more time with that if you want me to, but let me share with you the second thought that I think comes around that helps us. Recognizing the presence of God in our lives must be an everyday experience. It has to be an everyday experience. Um, um, in verse 16, um, Jacob gets up and here's how he makes it an everyday experience. He says, surely the Lord was in this place and I wasn't aware of it. I think that is so important. Surely the Lord was in this place, but he says, I wasn't aware of it. Now, what I want you to know is it doesn't matter whether you're aware of it or not. Guess who's here? You all with me? Guess who's here? Some people will walk out of a church service um, <laughs> Um, um, what's the guy on Sunday morning that we all like so well? Anybody? You know, the, huh? It's Charles Stanley. He said he was in a, in a meeting we were in one time, and he said uh, he said it's really strange when people walk out of that service, 
this was b- before he got too big. Um, this was when he was smaller, uh, out of his worship service, and he said, people can come out of there and say, that was the greatest present or presence experience of Christ I've ever felt in a worship service. And he said, two people back, back behind them will walk out and say, boy, we missed it today, didn't we? You know? Yeah, and people do that here. Oh, I don't know what he was talking about. I, don't, I didn't know any spirit was in there. I want to tell you, it's not because of you. That's our problem. We think unless we're satisfied with what we want, God wasn't there. Are you all with me? But it's not up to you. It's up to God. He's there. It wasn't a sudden thing. For, for Jacob it was. He said, I can't, I can't believe it. Um, and he says, this has got to be an awesome place. And, and any time we, we, we have that experience with God, um, the greatest experience I had with God was at Brunerdale Seminary. In the sanctuary at Brunerdale Seminary is now a restaurant. But in that sanctuary with about 80 other men, um, we all experienced the touch of the Holy Spirit that night. And that's, the great, that's a holy place for me. Here Jacob says, this is a holy place. This is nothing but the house of God, and I'm going to make this place that. I'm going to make it that place. He calls it Bethel, which means nothing more than the house of God. And, and it is a place that, that God was at um, by many. Uh, if you remember in, 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 um, in um, Exodus, uh, Moses walks up and sees God here at the same place. God looks at him and says, boy, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. It's because he's there. The ground was holy because God was there, not because Moses was. He's with us at this moment, if you didn't know that. God is right here with us in this time. Um, Most of us walk in here at quarter to ten, between quarter to ten and ten, and we come in here and sit here and worship. Fred and Sharon and I have been working on it for the whole week on this service, praying that God would be here, um, praying that God would help us as we do these these slide things and as we do all this, come in here and make sure all the mics are working, all this stuff is doing. You know, we were, we're in here that 45 minutes to an hour before anybody else gets here. You know why? To pray. I love it on Saturday. I've gotten the habit of coming down Saturday evening and setting up the chairs. You know why? I know where Steve's going to sit. So don't change your chairs. You know? <laughs> I know where Steve's going to sit. And I'm, I, I put that chair there and say, Lord, bless this guy. Bless the lady that sits beside of him. You know? I know where Mary Lou's going to sit. I know where you're all going to sit. And I say that prayer for you on Saturday night. And pray that God would be here. We were talking about it yesterday out of Ruth. In the philosophy class I was taking, they were talking about the reality of, of life in, in, in general is that when we leave here this morning, this whole sanctuary disappears. It doesn't exist unless somebody perceives it. <laughs> so I walked into class one day and, and all the chairs were sitting there and I said, uh, said to the professor, because I sit in the same chair all the time, I said to the professor, I said, hey, where's my chair? 
And he looked at me like, what do you mean, where's your chair? I said, it's right there. I said, no, it's not there. I don't see it. And I fought with him the whole time that I had to perceive it. And I didn't, wasn't perceiving it. You all with me? I was nuts in seminary. They, they were glad I was out of there. Phyllis Ann said to me the last term, she said, uh, go down there and shut up and just get out of there. Let's go home. <laughs> Professor, then he started writing on the wall with, on the chalkboard with, with um, yellow chalk. So I said, hey, where'd you get that white chalk? He said, it's not white, it's yellow. I said, who told you that? Somebody told you wrong. I see it as white. See, it doesn't matter what we see, does it? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's God is here. Whether we want to see him or not, we have to intentionally look for him. Jacob saw him. Jacob saw him and his life changed. Everything, everything happened afterwards because of his, his making God personal in his life and saying, oh, oh, God is not far away. He's right here. And he made that place holy. He did. We do. Make things holy because that's where we experience God. Once we become aware of his presence, we understand that he's with us. I've had so many friends tell me, and I've even said it myself, you know, I don't think my prayers are getting to heaven at all. Matter of fact, I don't think they're making it past the ceiling. And finally, one day in my, in my time of spiritual growth, I looked at somebody and said, that, you know, I feel that same way, but I got bad news for you. Our prayers shouldn't go to the ceiling. And they shouldn't go to heaven. Because if we do, we've missed God. Because he's right here. Amen? Right here with us. Right here, right beside of us. We don't have to look far. All right. How does all that happen? Well, having that personal and presence of God happens simply because we need to surround our life in his lordship. We need to surrender. Surrender ourselves to him and to his lordship. Phyllis Ann and I made a cross one time for a church in Lafayette. And um, we made the cross and then we put a cross inside of it with a crown uh, hanging from the cross. A crown. And, um, and the theory was that, that we put behind it that God loves us so much that he gave us his son. God is the big cross. The little cross is the gift of Jesus. The crown is the Holy Spirit. Everybody liked the thought of that, but they didn't like the crown. Not everybody. Some people didn't like the crown. You know, it's sort of like those people along the freeway that didn't like that flag of honoring that uh, policeman that was killed. So we took it down, you know. We didn't take the crown off the cross. The crown represented the Holy Spirit who is the leader of our lives, the Lord of our lives the one that tells us what to do and what not to do. And the last thing that you and I want today, amen, is for someone to tell us what to do. And not even God. We want the loving God, the kind God. We don't want the God that says, quit gossiping. We don't want the God that says, I can keep on doing what I'm doing, it's okay. We don't want that kind of God. We don't want the lordship of our lives. But we need to surrender to that Lordship. 
lordship. And, and it's in verse 20. J- Jacob made a vow with God. He said, okay, I'll do what you've said. Here's my vow. I'm going to do it. I'm going to listen to you and let you be the Lord of my life. And that's part of the change. I don't think, I don't think, um, as I read this story on and on, I don't think Jacob changed that much. Even though he had that experience with personally accepting God into his life and letting God become that presence around him all the place and him surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. I don't think he, he, he quit doing some of the, because he did some nasty things on down the road. But as you see it, he kept getting away from that more and more and more. It's called that gift of sanctification. He was working on his relationship with Christ. And I think that's what we're all doing is working on our relationship. And when I say surrendering, it's an everyday event, surrendering. We need to surrender every day to his lordship. And let him lead us and guide us. It comes down to this. What I'm talking about is our life is really, really, we have some great folks that are are, um, um, knowing about Christ, but not knowing him. And I think that's the thing that has to happen in our lives. We need to quit them. as I used to call it, playing church, that's knowing God. (laughs) And we need to start um, understanding that the lordship of God means a lot more for us than we would ever imagine. That we would say, we would say, let me explain it to you this way. I'm sorry, Barb. (laughs) Let Let me lean it to you this way. I said to Fred, I said, Fred, I'd like to come out here and do some music with you singing. Because one day we can use it, (laughs) you know. And all Fred wanted to do was to be used by God. That was it. He didn't care about anything else. He said, okay, if I can do this and help somebody, let me do it. And we didn't get enough done. We did 15 songs, but we didn't get enough. But praise God, I'm glad we got 15 songs. Amen? Amen. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You know, all, uh, his whole go- the whole goal of that time of us being together, five or six people every time, was to sing songs and worship God. But it was, it was his way of saying, this is the Lord of my life and I want to. Hear what he says and do it. That's the key that Jacob gives us. He left that place and started doing things differently. Not greatly, but differently. And then one day it was all good. All good. It's for me in my house. He says, I'm going to follow the Lord. That's what we need to do today. If we've learned anything, we need to surrender ourselves to God. Take away that old stuff. Let the new come in. Let Christ come into our lives. And let all that new beginning happen in our lives. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word again today that challenges us to get off of our, our social gospel off of our easy gospel, off of our easy relationship with you where it's it's contingent upon how I feel about you and to to really surrender ourselves to you and accept your son, Jesus Christ, in our lives in such a way that he becomes our Lord. 
because we know he's the one that's guiding us and directing us. He's the one that's right beside of us. Him and the Holy Spirit and you, Father, are there with us always. We need to have that relationship with you that's personal. And if we don't have that today, help us to solve that and really mean it. Stand up and say, I am here with you, Lord God. I am here with you. Hmm. I am here with you. Thank you for being here with me. Help me to stand with you today, Lord. The only way that happens, the only way we can say that is by accepting him into our hearts and know him there, not in our heads. My friends, the challenge is to move him from your head to your heart. And I pray you'd do that. Whether you're at home, here, or wherever you're at, move that. Make that move today and make it personal. Make it personal. God, help us to do that every day of our lives. Not for our glory. Not to build us up, but just so that you can use us even more than you're doing. Even more, Lord, we pray today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen? Gosh, friends. Such an important thing for you and I to hear that we need to we need to turn our lives over to Christ and quit playing a game. Amen? Let's stand again.